push your friend in because you're at the card pool. I'm your host, Stu Galetta. And I'm Kyle Robertson. And today we are talking about our top 10 hidden gems from Vision. This is part one of our two-part set review. Our second will be the top 10 money cards of Visions. But without further ado, let's start the review. Alrighty then. So starting at my number 10, we have a card called Curion Druid. It costs 3 mana, 2 generic, and a green. And it is a druid with a 1-2 body. It has the effect for a single forest, you can tap it. Target land becomes a 2-2 green creature permanently. That land will still count as a land. The reason this card really shines to me is we see this kind of effect in green where you have the ability to make it so that lands can become creatures and lands in fact can become creatures on their own ability. But the thing that I really like this for is it makes it so that you can get rid of troublesome lands. If you go ahead and animate a land into a creature it then becomes susceptible to board wipes, spot removal that specifically target creatures. Being able to doom blade a land that's not a creature is an easier way of getting rid of it rather than having to worry about playing a card that solely gets rid of lands like an annihilation for example i honestly really didn't think of it that way Stu. you're right about that that can be a very useful effect i was thinking of this card more along the lines of animating your own lands do we see these similar kind of effects on a bunch of other green cards like their enchantments natures Revolt or Living Lands. We also have creatures like Jolrael, Empress of Beasts. But the notable thing about most of these other than the enchantment ones is that it only makes them lands for one turn. This one makes them lands permanently, which is very interesting. This is a very low drop creature and at a very low cost to have this kind of ability. And it can be pretty powerful with to swarm in the early to mid game. Yeah, definitely, Kyle. And I mean, it even has decent stats for this kind of effect. Obviously, this isn't a creature going to go ahead and attack with. It's going to sit there and eventually you're going to tap it and accrue some sort of value from it. But the thing I really do like about this card is that it has a great political game to it. It doesn't mean your land, it's any land. So somebody is going to go ahead and take a lot of damage to the face, create an ally for one green mana, and make it so they lose a land over, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 life, depending on how big the creature is coming at them. It really makes it for an interesting play. It's a lot like Kamal Fist of Croza in that regard, and that's something that players are very afraid of because the prospect of animating somebody's lands when they don't want you to and killing them off can be very scary. However, going back to my point about turning your own lands into creatures, I should say it can be very risky doing that unless you're playing a deck like Titania, for example, in which case, have fun, go nuts, which is, of course, lands being blown up when their creatures loses you lands, and of course that's not a good thing. So, like always, you have to be pretty careful if you're going to be using these things on yourself. Well, enough about that card. So, Kyle, for your number 10, looks like it might have some interactions with mine. It actually potentially could, Stu. I'm going to have an artifact for my number 10 here. It's called Sands of Time, and it costs four generic mana to play. Each player skips his or her untap step. At the beginning of each player's turn, untap each tapped artifact, creature, and land he or she controls, and tap each untapped artifact, creature, and land he or she controls. So there's a lot of text on this, but basically to boil it right down, nobody gets to untap things as normal during their untap steps, which is automatically just a huge pain for a lot of people, I would say the vast majority of players. But it kind of reverses the order of things where the only things that are allowed to untap actually are things that were already tapped, and vice versa, the only things that are allowed to be tapped are the untapped things. So you kind of have to play around with this. There are a lot of cool things you can do, but you do have to play around it very carefully, and you have to take great care when you're actually throwing this card down, lest it end up benefiting your opponents a lot more than it benefits you. That said, attacking with all of your creatures, tapping out all of your lands, or almost all, because you're going to need mana to cast this, and then throwing this down, that's going to pretty much guarantee that you're able to do whatever you want on each of your turns, and your opponent if they made the wrong choices and were not prepared for this to come down, probably would not be. It rewards aggressive colors like red and green for tapping out an alpha strike mass attacking because it pretty much erases the downsides and it can be played in any deck. That's really cool. And it makes it so that even control type shells, who will typically hold mana back and then play something, if for some reason they haven't decided to play their Cyclonic Rift or like any other kind of counter spell, that land and that mana is now has to be utilized. They have to tap out. So you make it so that leaving open mana becomes more of a risk. And think about a hate bear like 
Thalia Heretech Cather, the one that makes it so everything comes into play tapped on your opponents, totally helps them in this case because it makes it so it's untapping when they want it to be. Now, if you go ahead and you play a creature, it has summoning sickness, the next turn you would typically be able to get the advantage from it. You can attack with it, you can tap with it, you can block with it, whatever. But now you made it so there's a second turn of summoning sickness on that creature if it hasn't been utilized. It makes it so the game becomes so much slower. And for decks that have trouble keeping up with the speed of like, I don't know, green ramping or red going aggro, it gives them an extra footing, which is very, very strong. I think moving now from that into something that's significantly less threatening, but is a kind of interesting take on an effect we see a lot these days. What's up next, Stu? Well, this is a card all about the wishful thinking. It's called Three Wishes. It costs one generic and double blue for a three drop instant. And it reads, take the top three cards off your library. Look at them and set them aside face down. You may play those cards as though they were in your hand. At the beginning of your next turn, bury any of those cards not played. And for those of you who aren't sure, bury is the old term for just sin to the graveyard. Yeah, this is an old card, and again, you might want to look up the oracle text if this is a little confusing for you. But this is a really easy and simple card that makes it so that you can go ahead and advance your turn a little bit more. If this is your top deck, it makes it so that you now have three cards to play with as opposed to just a traditional one. Now, if you have lands in this, you're not going to be able to really use them, so it's just going to clutter it up. But being able to pull a creature, an instant, a sorcery, it's really nice. Yeah, this this is an early version of what we today call impulse draw, and it's mostly found in red these days. It used to be blue, now it's red. I would say this older version is really not quite as good as some that we see nowadays, like Commune with Lava, for example, where you get massive impulse draw, or even impulse draw on bodies sometimes, like Dream Pillager, for example, a giant dragon that kind of does this sort of thing. The benefit is you draw cards, the drawback is you have to play them right then and there. Three Wishes, not only is it not red, but it kind of straddles the difference between regular draw and impulse draw, because sure, you can only use them for a certain time period, but it could be during other people's turns. It pairs really well with counter spells and other instants like the Cyclonic Rift that we always talk about. Definitely, and I love the comparison you said with red, because this is a card I would want to see in it or in Teamer, and those kind of colors are typically using impulse draw, like you said. And the really cool thing I do like about this is is if you had the ability to give flash to your stuff, like Teferi Mage of Zalafir, or if you even have like Winding Canyons or Alchemist Refuge online, you can go ahead and play creatures out with these three if you do happen to have them. So making it so it's instant speed can be actually something a little bit stronger because you can then take advantage of other people's turns. But enough about my card. I see you're on the train for the Wonderment, all this glittery, shimmery stuff over here. <laughs> well, it looks that way, Stu, from my next card point of view. Diamond Kaleidoscope, yet another artifact, and guess what? It costs four again. I think I'm on a roll here. So for three generic mana and a tap ability, you can put a prism token onto the battlefield. It's a zero one artifact creature, and you sacrifice a prism token at any time to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Now this is a very interesting card to me because it may be a little bit expensive for what it does by our modern day standards, but it's really cool because it serves a dual purpose. One, you're possibly ramping mana and for any color at that from an artifact, which is pretty impressive given our modern day standings on Chromatic Lantern, and also you're creating chump blockers at the same time. Granted, they are little 0-1 artifact creatures susceptible to artifact hate and not very strong besides they're not going to be winning you any fights or anything it takes a lot of investment this card possibly but it could be used with leftover mana from turns which happens a lot in big games like commander i think this card has a real shot at being something people could use it's very interesting to me it's definitely a card that is specifically for either mana ramping or artifact specific decks the first card that came to mind of what they produce are eldrazi spawns or gold tokens in short or in a hybrid of either of them, honestly. But I mean, if you were to look at green, you'd rather something like Awakening Zone or From Beyond, something that can continually bring them out for free. But again, if you're not in green, like you said, Kyle, this is something that is very good. And I could see this being home in Sidri Galvanic Genius, because it has the ability to go ahead and make this alone a creature with Death Touch and Lifelink. But then you can go ahead and make it so that this little zero one now has Lifelink and Death Touch. It has the ability to make it so that you could have a more aggressive turn. Plus, those colors being in Esper, 
don't really ramp, so giving you that option to get more mana can be more beneficial. Yeah, you'd have to pump them up a little bit for a Death Touch and Lifelink to really matter, but it is possible, and there's plenty of things out there that could do that sort of ability. So yeah, I think this is a really interesting card to have in decks that don't have easy access to Eldrazi spawns and the like. So we were talking a little bit about Artifact Hate and how that's red. Well, Stu, we are going to a red card that's next on your list, but it has nothing really to do with Artifacts. No, and it's definitely going to get hot in here with Heat Wave. For three mana, we have a double generic and red enchantment. Now it has cumulative upkeep of one red mana, and I'll bring up what that is about in a little bit. Blue creatures can't block creatures you control. Non-blue creatures can't block creatures you control unless the controller pays an additional one life for each blocking creature. So to first talk about cumulative upkeep for people who weren't around when this card came out, pretty much on your upkeep, you have to pay that cost. And every upkeep, it goes up by that amount. So for example, first turn it comes around you have to pay one red second turn you have to pay double red third turn etc etc you get the idea the reason I really wanted to point this card out is this is something that it doesn't really strike me as a red card usually these kind of effects are in a variety of other colors Kyle take it away on that well it brings the heat ha 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 like red wants to against more controlling strategies like blue that would generally speaking have the upper hand in a lot of games blocking becomes really really painful for everybody, and if you're a blue player, just downright impossible. Almost giving all of your creatures protection from blue is just really awesome if you're a red player. There are some pluses and minuses to it, of course. The cumulative upkeep can get a little bit hefty, but this is very similar to something like War Cadence in a lot of ways, and it's great because like the Afflict ability, say, from Hour of Devastation, even if somebody does block your hefty creatures to stop themselves from taking damage, they're still going to take a little bit of damage. Yeah, it is actually a great comparison for that. And actually, the thing I was thinking about is how pretty much if you go ahead and you have this little army that's going really wide, a whole bunch of little 1-1s, one if you attack with them, they're not incentivized to block. Because if they block and they kill it, they still take that one damage. Now, if they go ahead and make it so that they don't block, they're still taking that one damage. Damage. So right then it becomes, well, what do I really want to do? There's nothing for me to do to get around this. And that alone could possibly make this a win con, I think. If you go ahead and you play this late game, they're very low on life. They take damage from not blocking. They take damage from blocking. You're just twisting their arm back behind their back. I think this is pretty much a metagame call on most people's parts. I mean, if you're a red player and you're playing in a group with a lot of people who like to play blue and controlling strategies, then yeah, go ahead and shove this card in your deck. Otherwise, in some cases, I don't really see a lot of call for it. But hey, it's an option that's out there. It's really interesting, although in my opinion, it's sort of a win more sort of thing, especially in go wide token decks that if you're making that many creatures, you probably already won anyway. Now this card, Kyle, this one just was shy of making my list and I'm really glad you picked it so we could talk about it. Yep, and another old and confusing sort of effect that I'm gonna have to explain a bit. My number eight card is Catabatic Winds. It's a green enchantment that costs two generic and one green and has phasing. I'll get back to that in just a second. Creatures with flying can't attack, block, or use any ability that includes a tap in its activation cost. Now, going back to phasing for a second, phasing is an effect that's on a bunch of old cards, especially in this set. At the beginning of your upkeep, if the card currently is in play on your side of the field, it phases out. Alternatively, if the card is already phased out when the turn comes back to you, it phases back in. And when a card is phased out, it's basically treated like it doesn't exist. It can't be targeted, it can't be destroyed, it can't be bounced back to your hand, it can't really have anything done to it at all and it's not doing anything for you it's just not there the best way i like to think about it is like if you were to go ahead and put a cup over that card and you just don't see it anymore that's pretty much what you're doing. You're just pretty much like hiding a card out of sight and it's just not interactable for while it's phased out. Yeah, very accurate, Stu. And we see the new card, Teferi's Protection, plays a lot with phasing things out. And that's really the first time in a long, long time we've seen phasing. But anyway, getting back to Catabatic Winds, this is really, really cool, especially for a green deck, I think, because one, it shuts down flying creatures hard. And that's something that green tends to have real problems with. 
giant ground creatures that may be big and beefy, but people can just go over your head and kill you that way. This card, not only does it stop people from attacking or blocking with their pesky little flying creatures, but also if they have tap abilities, they can't even use them. That is just awesome. And in addition, it protects itself by phasing out and phasing back in when timing allows. However, I should note that given the fact that on certain upkeeps it's out, certain upkeeps it phases back in, timing can sort of be problematic, but making it able to dodge removal in some cases is pretty cool and very unique. Yeah, and I mean, it all comes down to exactly how many people are left in the game or how many people you started with, because if you do it right, it makes it so the person who hates this can't interact with it because it's phased out then. However, they will get the added effects of being able to use their creatures that turn, but you know, it's risk and reward right there. So it can save itself, but it is off the board. It's a very interesting card, and I do like it because it's almost like a one-shot effect, Like, and green uses a lot of those where it's like it targets solely flying creatures. It does X damage to the flying creatures, or it stops flying creatures, but they're usually just instants and sorceries. This being able to be continuous, like you said, saving itself enchantment is very unusual to see, and if you play this, it's going to convolute the plays. Absolutely, Stu. Well, I think we're going to stay on the phasing train, because your next card is all about phasing and utilizing it to its full, confusing potential. Absolutely. My number seven is Shimmering Afreet. Now, this one also costs three mana, but now we're in blue. Two generic and a blue for an Afreet creature with a 2-2 body. So it has flying and phasing, which we just went over, and when Shimmering Afreet phases in, target creature phases out. So this is a very interesting card for the fact that it's almost like Oblivion Ring on a creature that can keep Oblivion Ringing creatures over and over and over again. It makes it so that you can go ahead and take one creature completely out of the equation. And like this is almost, if you think about it, Mrs. Doubtfire the card. It's either this is the maid or this is the man. Like you gotta go back and forth because it's like one's in, one's out. Yeah, it's very interesting, Stu, because it starts out with an okay 2-2 two -two flying for three. Not exactly exciting but serviceable the phasing makes things a lot more interesting by as we talked about with our previous card protecting itself to a certain extent making it harder to get rid of and possibly a protecting other creatures you have or also taking away a problematic opposing creature for a turn of course when this card phases in and you maybe phase out an opponent's creature that opponent's creature is going to come back on their upkeep, but still, it takes it out of the equation for an entire turn, which may allow you to do any number of things. With the phasing, again, a lot of rules with this. Look it up if it's getting confusing, because this is a confusing mechanic. The creature will no longer have summoning sickness. So with that creature coming back in on your opponent's side, you better have an answer for it. Otherwise, you're just going to make it so that creature's coming at you because you are bothering that player. Alternatively, if you flash this card in, though, for example, things kind of work the opposite way. So it's really completely up to you how this thing plays out. So now we're going to go on to a card that, if you didn't have enough of phasing already, brings you even more phasing and a lot of it at once this time. Number seven on my list is called Teferi's Realm. This is a blue enchantment that costs one colorless and two blue. And it says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player chooses artifacts, creatures, lands, or enchantments. All cards of that type phase out. You should also note that it's global enchantments, which basically means anything that's not an aura, such as Teferi's Realm, for example. This card is just really, really interesting, but also kind of mind-bendingly confusing. It can be used by all players to basically eliminate huge swaths of problem cards, like a big field full of creatures, a lot of artifacts, a lot of enchantments, even lands that can shut people out of mana for a time or just make sure their utility lands are no good. It also can play both offense, where you basically blank somebody's creature before you swing in for damage, or it can protect your own creatures actually too, from things like board wipes, or targeted removal, or similar cards, other kinds of effects, and really all kinds of things out there. So this is just really interesting. It's kind of a timing issue, as phasing always is, but this could potentially bring about huge swings in the game for somebody. Oh yeah, this is 100% a timing thing. You have to be very calculated in your moves to make sure that 
that you are also inherently not removing just yours, your opponent's. So if you did want to board wipe and you go ahead and declare creatures, yes, your creatures will be off the field, but so will theirs. So you have to make sure you're matching up the power on this card to where you truly need it to be. But one thing I really do like this card for is like a super friends deck. And the fact that since Planeswalkers are unaffected by this, you can go ahead and remove some stuff that's actually hindering it to make it so that they can prosper even more, which is really good. Or in the fact where if you have a lot of creatures and somebody is being all pillow forty, go ahead, name enchantments, that all goes away, and then you go and swing in for big, stupid damage and hopefully you knock them out of the game. This makes it very even for everybody, so it's not oppressive to any one player. So you can go ahead and make it so this thing stays out for a while because people will want to take advantage of this card. It's kind of like a rights of flourishing if you think about it like that, where it's like everyone's getting the effect, everyone's getting the minus, so it's just going to sit there and probably stay there for a long time. Well, speaking of things that can be oppressive if they just sit around, your next card, Stu, is actually kind of all about that, focusing on one color more than others. My number six is going to a card called Elephant Grass. Now it costs one green, it's an enchantment, and it reads, black creatures can't attack you. Non-black creatures can't attack you unless their controller pays an additional two for each attacking creature. Lastly, it has cumulative upkeep of one generic. So this right here is a very unusual card for the fact that it is green because typically this is like a pillow fort effect like we were talking earlier and those are typically like ghostly prison which is white or other effects that are typically in blue like propaganda so this is something that is very very abnormal in green yeah you don't really see many of these generic color hate cards out there anymore just because their effects are so narrow this one does kind of appeal to me though because it has use outside of just specific color hate it's almost like a green version of Ghostly Prison with a special upside making it incredibly powerful against black creatures. The cumulative upkeep cost can sometimes be a problem. I've never been a huge fan of these cumulative upkeep costs, but it starts out for one mana. One mana. You can play this on turn one. It costs less than Ghostly Prison to start out with, two whole mana less, actually. And even though the cumulative upkeep will keep ramping up, you're in green. It's the color that is known most for getting a lot of mana and being able to pay a lot of mana for what it wants to do. Also, green having access to Ghostly Prison is not really something you see all that often oh definitely not and this is something that when you play it people are gonna have to reread it to make sure it is doing what you said it is going to do this isn't a card for even though it is one mana to come out on first turn or even second turn this is more of a mid to late game card and then pay the cumulative upkeep for where you have the excess mana like you said this is green kyle so it shouldn't be too hard to make this thing stay around without having any kind of trick to make it so that the cumulative upkeep doesn't refresh for what this can do this is enormous for green, and it's, I'm almost surprised this isn't like in a planar chaos kind of set, because this is just breaking green at its core. Yeah, it certainly goes also well with enchantress strategies like Kron the Dawnclad, or maybe a Karametra deck, or any other kind of deck that uses a lot of green and white enchantments. Having another ghostly prison in those colors is never really a bad thing. However, my next card, while it is also an enchantment, goes from black hate to black love. It's called Blanket of Night. Now this is a 3 mana enchantment, it costs 1 colorless and double black, and it has a very simple effect, although it may be familiar to some players. Each mana producing land is a swamp in addition to its normal land type. The reason this is on my list is really for one reason and one reason only, which is this is the budget version of Urborg Tomb of Yawgmoth. Urborg is a legendary land that pretty much does the exact same thing as this card does, still gives it to all players, still makes everything a swamp in addition to its other types including itself however it's a land which means you don't have to waste a spell slot in your deck for that kind of effect which is a really good thing needless to say one of the things that bugs me about Ouroborg though is how high its price point still remains and it makes it so that I'm not just going to pick one up any any given day a budget version of that is nice even if it does take up a slot in your deck being an enchantment it's kind of nice for us budget players to know that this card is out there 
And you could still do all the kinds of crazy things that you would like to do, even without that, like, $40 land. Oh, yeah. Like, and the example of that is Supreme right there. This is 100% a budget option. If you had Urborg, you'd rather run Urborg over this, for the fact that it can also net you one mana, and also get the same sort of effect. Now, I will also note that there are other enchantments out there, in black specifically, that are a lot more powerful, and I mean on, like, a Blood Moon kind of level. Like, we have Contamination out there, which is... Pretty much the same mana cost, but instead of making them swamps in addition, they flat out make them swamps. However, there's a little bit of a toll on that, but it's just something that I think could be a little bit stronger on that kind of scale. But regardless, this is a very good card, very good find, and it really works well with a lot of other black cards. Like if you can't get Urborg out or Urborg's been destroyed or removed or whatever you have out there, this is something to turn it on with. So you can still use your Crypt Gas, you can still use your Lake of the Dead, you can still get Cabal Coffers off so you get like your crazy amounts of mana. And this is a really good card, and I would say probably not tier one for black, but probably tier two for a staple level. I would agree with that, and don't forget it also turns on Swamp Walk for your creatures, so things like Filth get extremely good, as Urborg kind of does as well. Well, going on from there, Stu, speaking of lands, we're actually going to get to a land that has some pretty interesting abilities here. My number five is going to be Quicksand. Now, it is a land that can do two things, one of which you can tap to produce colorless mana, and the second being is that you can go ahead, tap this, and sacrifice it, and then target attacking creature without flying gets minus one, minus two until the end of the turn. So right here, we have a pretty solid land that passes the vanilla test. It's very strong for the fact that this is removal on a land. Now, however, that is very rare in the game of Magic. Typically, this has to be an instant or sorcery or some sort of sacrifice outlet on a creature. The fact that this is on a land, it has the same value as what you just said before about Urborg, that it doesn't take up the slot to be able to remove something. However, this does come at the cost of a land, so this can be kind of an iffy card, but if you're going to use it, you're using it for good reason. I also am not really just sure about the quality of this card overall, Stu. I could potentially see this as being good in the early game, where a lot of aggressive, small, early game creatures come out. Like a Mother of Runes, for example, I could see as just one potential target for this, if it were to attack. It also limits itself not only to a relatively small uh, power and toughness reduction, but also to creatures without flying. That means basically creatures that don't already have evasion, and thus might still be able to be chum blocked or just blocked by your other creatures or something like that. It also is not very good in the late game, I would find. So there's a lot of conditions on this removal, even though it is a land. I'm not really sure I would play this. Well, I mean, it can be comboed out. So if you are going ahead and blocking, you can make it so that you sacrifice this land, and inherently it would be kind of like a double block. You're getting a shock effect on it, so it would be like doing two damage to a creature inherently. So if you have someone who is like a 4-4 swinging in, you have a guy that's a 2-2, well, now you go ahead and you pop this off with it, and now that creature is effectively removed from the game. So it wouldn't be able to, to just flat out remove big creatures unless it's comboed out with something. But it is still something good in the early game, like you said for the fact that, you know, you can disincentivize people to go ahead and attack you. And also, this works on any attack, so you can even make an alliance with someone to make it so that they are safe from some sort of creature that's coming at them. And there's a lot of cards out there that have a two toughness. Like, all the hate bears have two toughness, so being able to put them at bay for attacking you is really something to take into consideration. Yeah, I might consider this more as a kind of card that might appear in a competitive format rather than commander. In any case, moving on to another card that I think is just pure gold in terms of the green side of things. My number five on this list is going to a card called Quirion Ranger. This is a creature, speaking of small creatures that come out in the early game, he's one mana and he is a 1-1, also an elf in terms of creature type. Has a very simple effect, return a forest you control to its owner's hand, untap target creature. Use this ability only once each turn. Now when you first look at that, you kind of wonder, why would I want to bounce a land back to my hand that I can only play once per turn in order to just untap a creature? Well, there's actually a number of reasons why you 
you should do that. First of all, Quarian Ranger is an elf, which is a powerful creature type in its own regard. And let's just think of elves with powerful tap abilities for a moment. Hmm, Priest of Titania, Elvish Arch, Druid, anybody? They tap for lots of mana. This lets you untap them for just bouncing a land back and tap to add even more mana to your mana pool. So are you really losing anything by getting rid of that land? Not really. Also keep in mind that green is the color of ramp and also the color of exploration and burgeoning and all those other cards that let you play extra lands from your hand. So think about that, for example, another way to circumvent the cost here. It also works very well with landfall creatures, so replaying your lands is probably not a bad thing. And where this card's especially disgusting is combined with one of my favorite green commanders of all time, Yisan the Wanderer Bard. Man, when you get this thing out with Yisan and you just start untapping him on every single turn, because remember, it's on every turn once per turn, not just your own turn, things can get really out of hand very quickly. Oh, definitely. And there's like a whole entire cycle of these little kind of green guys that have this effect. I would say probably the best one, especially in an elf kind of tribal strategy, would be Wirewood Symbiote, where instead of going ahead and returning a land, you're returning an elf creature. But these two would actually synergize so well with each other because you go ahead and use the one, then you go ahead and use the Wirewood symbiote to go ahead and return this elf to your hand to make it so that you can protect it from a board wipe you can protect it from spot removal or if you just gotta like flat out return an elf like you can go ahead and recast this and then use its effect again it gets to be a little bit crazy in that regard especially if you're using some sort of crazy token strategy like risk the redeemed and the fact that you want to be able to untap this creature continuously over and over again it's super duper strong yeah, there were also other cards printed more recently, like Scribe Ranger, for example, which has flying and flash and protection from blue, and it costs two mana, but it's still almost the exact same effect as Query and Ranger, maybe even a little bit better. So all of these cards should be pretty much combined together, in my opinion, and that would just make for an incredible deck. Also, I do like this card for the fact that it does something a little bit different. Now, typically a lot of untapping kind of decks where that's a big thing, you usually see cards like Thousand Year Elixir. Now, if you're running green, now you can inherently not have to worry about that card, which is, I'd say, a little bit pricey for what it can do. But also, this can go off every turn, like you said, Kyle. So inherently, instead of getting to untap a creature maybe once or possibly even twice, you get the effect of being able to do it like three to four times depending if you really have the mana or the resources. And this also doesn't cost any mana. This is just a freebie. As long as you don't mind putting a land back in your hand, you just keep going on with this until somebody has the ability to stop it. Well, moving on to another card here, Stu, we're going to go back to White IC, and this is a very interesting cards for enchantment decks yet again. Yeah, Kyle, you gotta give credit where credit is due, and this is a powerful enchantment to say the least. It's called Righteous Aura. It costs two mana, one generic, and a white. For the price of one white mana and two life, prevent all damage to you from any one source. So right here we have a really good enchantment that can fog the board for you continuously. If you're going to be taking three damage or higher, go ahead and use this because at that point you're already just going to optimize the amount of damage that you're taking. Now it's always going to be two and this also works on other things beyond creatures. This is instance, this is sorceries, this is other enchantments that might even make it so that you have to take damage for something dying for, we'll say for example. It's a very strong enchantment and one that I've rarely seen played. Yeah, I honestly didn't even know this card existed up until now, and I wish I had, because this is really very good. I think it's more powerful than the standard Circles of Protection, which generally cost around this much and have the same similar kind of ability, except they only work on specific colors. There's even Story Circle, which can do any color, but only the one, so it's probably even better than that. It's also similar to cards like Martyr's Bond and Circle of Despair, except instead of trading life for damage prevention, they trade creatures for damage prevention. And while sacrificing creatures can sometimes be a good thing, I'm actually a much bigger fan of Righteous Aura than compared to those cards, mostly because it costs less, and also, I think, costs you less in resources, too. I should note that all cards, including Righteous Aura, like this, get around hexproof creatures because they don't actually target. So that's another point in its favor. Also, one thing to remember, if the little bit of life cost is deterring you from this, which I hope it isn't, remember, you're in white and white loves to gain life. You have anything out there from Sarah Ascendant all the way up to Nyx Fleece Ram, or even a commander like Alora who can just gain you two life flat out. So this is something that can really, 
really be utilized and I would say should be a white staple. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, would you rather take 20 damage or would you rather take 2 damage? I really think that's pretty much a self-explanatory answer right there. Oh, I don't know, Kyle. 20 damage. Now, that is so appealing. <laughs> well, speaking of things that can do that much damage or maybe just make it possible for you, my next card may be a tribal card, but it's a powerful one. It's called Goblin Recruiter, and it is a 2-mana red creature, a goblin, as I was explaining, and it's a 1-1. And it has a very simple ability. When Goblin Recruiter comes into play, you search your library for any number of goblin cards, reveal those cards to all players, then shuffle your library and put the cards on top of it in any order. This kind of reminds me of almost the Limb Duels Vault, just for goblins, and yes, to be clear, there are a bunch of other recruiter creatures in different types that do a similar kind of thing. Let's just think for a minute about stacking the top of your deck with the best goblins you can. It can pretty much set you up to win the game in a couple of turns, maybe even on the spot. Although, I should note that stacking a lot of creatures on top of your deck can possibly be problematic. If you're getting milled a lot, you have to be careful about that because it might get rid of all of your hard-earned gains. Shuffling too much or tutoring yourself could potentially be an issue with this, or just drawing cards because if creatures are the only thing on top of your deck, you're not going to be drawing any lands, which could maybe put you in a tougher spot than you would like to be. I would say, though, that with the amount of tools that goblins have, and especially not being limited to just creatures and open to all kinds of tribal card shenanigans here, you could put Siege Gang Commander, you could put Warren Instigator, or even Legion Loyalist all on top of your deck, and especially a Warren Instigator type card, which basically lets you play all the goblins out from your hand that much faster. If you have enough mana, you can just completely go on the offensive with this, draw nothing but gas, and win the game really fast. Yeah, this is a scary card, and actually the first thing that popped into my head was Congregate at Dawn and the fact where you can put three creatures on the top of your deck instead of four, but you're looking at a much more mana-intensive card. This is very powerful, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this might even be banned in Legacy for exactly how powerful this is. And it is doing something that red typically has a really hard time doing. Red's one of the colors that has the least amount of tutoring in it, just flat out, and especially the type of tutoring that it does, it's always very risky. Gamble is a great example of this for the fact that it is low-costed, but you might lose the card that you went and fetched for. So it's always a timing thing. And that's why you also see cards like Imperial Recruiter, which is the ideal tutor card in red. But if you look at its price cost, it's astronomically high. You really have to be making a deck that is going to be running at its full potential if you're putting that card in here. So this is something that is a great budget option. It does something that's really good. You just have to be using goblins. That's the only contingency on it. And just a staple in any kind of goblin tribal deck, like something based around Krenko, Mob Boss, maybe even Wart the Raid Mother, or Wart Boggard Auntie. Any one of these could really use this card in order to tutor up just about any goblin at any time. But steering clear of red and now into blue, my least liked color, I have to take note of this card. It's just something that I baffled with and I just, Kyle, I please tell me if you've seen this one before or not. But my number three is going to Dream Tides. Now this is a four drop enchantment, back on the enchantment train, for two generic and double blue. And it reads, creatures do not untap during their controller's untap phase. Each non-green creature's controller may pay two additional during his or her untap and untap that creature. So this is very similar to the card I brought up before, which was Elephant Grass, and the fact where you are completely hosing an enemy color. Blue hates green, and so this is really neutering green at where it is the weakest. Green loves its creatures, and being able to completely not untap them is oppressive, and this is the worst kind of oppressive for blue to have on green. Yeah, I could definitely see a home for this, and there are similar cards like this, but I don't think I have seen this exact one used in a deck like Derevi, Imperial Tactician, which just focuses on swinging in with a bunch of evasive creatures and then untapping all of your stuff. Derevi loves playing really mean strategies, especially prison cards like this, where you get all of the benefits and none of the drawbacks, while everybody else just suffers and can't stop you from doing what you're doing. It's not really a fun position to be in, but it works. Yeah, that's that's actually oppressive. I mean, you might run into a little problem because of the green in there, but 
I mean, all the other cards in there. That's nasty. But also one thing to point out, this doesn't have the cumulative upkeep like we did see on Elephant Grass. So like if that was on there, yeah, sure, this might be a card for like the late game, mid game, and might be very niche. But the fact that it doesn't have this, as long as you're not really running green, this goes into any deck that's running blue. This pretty much makes a player choose between being able to attack with their creatures or using their mana to play spells. That kind of choice, like Ghostly Prison as well, sets up some really difficult situations that can really take the heat off you a lot of the time in the course of a game. But not only that, this also stops mana dorks. Like you have an Elvish Mystic out, yeah, you better choose on when that time that one mana is going to matter because you're not going to get it back. On the subject of mana, though, I'm actually going to go to my next card, which makes everything cheaper, strangely enough. And by everything, I mean everything. Number three on my list is Helm of Awakening. This is an artifact which only costs two colorless to play, and it makes all spells cost one generic mana less to play. Now, if you are playing a deck that has a lot of high color in their converted mana, cost then this might not be that helpful for you for a lot of decks this is just what the doctor ordered and it's a very powerful effect to reduce everything by one mana it basically speeds the game up one whole turn just by being there it can be used by all players however and pretty much in any deck because it's an artifact which kind of has me puzzled as to where I would actually want to use this card, because if you're going to do something like this, why wouldn't you just use something like a Herald's Horn for a tribal deck, or a Medallion for a deck of a specific color that only benefits you and nobody else? You have to kind of come up with a deck that really maximizes the effectiveness of this card, which, to be fair, a lot of different commanders can probably do. Yeah, and actually the more I'm thinking about it, like, this is exactly like Medallion, but the decks that would really want to utilize this would be where the artifacts really do shine. Brea is the first one that comes to mind for the fact that you can sacrifice an artifact. So you can go ahead and play this on your turn and get rid of it when your turn is over, so this way you get the benefit and none of your opponents do. And then you go ahead and reoccur this. So this works Brea, Sidri, even Silas Wren for the fact that you can go ahead, lose something, and bring it back for when you need it. And let's say if you're not running Brea, but you still want to try this card in Artifacts, you can go ahead and use Car Clan Ironworks, which for an instant speed, you can just go ahead and flat out sacrifice any artifact to get more mana. Can you imagine that? You go ahead, you lower all your costs, you sacrifice it, float that mana, go ahead and utilize it for some last play card, and now it's the next person's turn. They're all excited, they're like, yes, I can play this, because I didn't have the mana for it before, and then you just go ahead and you just chop them down right at the knees. It's, it's a card that can take some synergies to get it to be at its full potential, but it is like a weird, interesting medallion like you did say, Kyle. I almost feel in some ways like this should be a staple of every deck, just because it speeds up the game entirely. But I don't know. That's just kind of a weird thought. I'm not really sure that should be put into practice, even if it would be. It's just kind of cool how this card exists and such a powerful ability, but no real home for it. Yeah, and honestly, I think I'd rather run something like a semblance anvil in the fact that, yes, you'll lose a card from your hand, but you can inherently make it so that you you and only you are getting the benefit of the mana reduction so you can make that point for it but what do you guys think let us know in the poll above is this a card that you think should be implemented more magic or just kind of left at the wayside but i think your next card Stu, is even better than this potentially and actually has a lot more practical applications oh god you're gonna make me blush with all this flattery but yes this number two pick is something that literally baffled me to my core and i have to rate it so high my number two is pygmy hippo and yes i'm going with the hippopotamus type creature right here it costs two mana of simic color which is one green and one blue and it has a 2-2 body and it reads if pygmy hippo attacks and is not blocked you may choose to have it deal no combat damage this turn and if you do defending player draws all mana from his or her lands and then his or her mana pool is emptied after combat, add an equal amount of colorless mana to your mana. So the first thing that pops in my head is this is a hippo who is related to mana drain because literally you are depleting someone of their resource that matters the most and that is mana. But the weird thing about this card is typically when you see this kind of effect, they usually re-tap all lands, but the player can go ahead and respond by tapping your land so that it misses the timing or the priority and it doesn't 
doesn't work out the right way. Not in this case. Pygmy Hippo goes ahead and takes all the mana, whether they tap it in response. The only way for them not to give it to you is if they lost the mana before the attack step started, or they've gone ahead and played some sort of instant or used the mana for some sort of ability to make it so that you got less. That's exactly right, Stu. And so forcing people to preemptively tap out before the combat step, especially if it's to do nothing at all, it was probably better back in the era when mana burn was still a thing. But still, today, that's really awesome. A walking mana drain that comes out on turn two is pretty scary in and of itself, although I do think that it has to have evasion to be at its full potential. It's not great in the late game, probably, but it can put you way far ahead in the early game if you get it out quick enough and can just give you a huge leg up, Mana Drain being probably the most powerful counterspell ever printed, and something more recent like Plasm Capture still doesn't quite measure up, but it's still a pretty darn good card. Well, it isn't a counterspell, but for the, that effect, yeah, Kyle, you are totally right. But also to point out the whole thing about unblockable, again, there's two scenarios here. Either one, a board wipe just happened, you go ahead, you play this card, we'll say give it haste or something, and it goes ahead and swings in, you get the mana, no problem. But also, it's really easy to make it so a creature is unblockable, especially in these colors. Cassetto, Orochi Archmage, but that commander right there has the best ability for this card for the fact that it can make it unblockable every single turn, provided that they're both on the field. But also, remember, we have blue, and what's the blue? Blue God, Thassa has the ability that's pretty much the same exact thing. Lastly, I'll point out the one equipment that's pretty much in every single deck that we see is Whisper Silk Cloak. These three are very simple, low-costed, easy budget options to get this hippopotamus online. The fact that those are such easy synergies really and I mean really makes this a scary card for a hippo. Now going on to something that actually gives you more information. Breathstealer's Crypt is my number two choice for this set. It's another enchantment. We seem to be really on a roll here with these enchantments. This one's in Demir colors, blue and black, and it costs four, two generic, and a blue and a black. Whenever any player draws a card, they reveal that card. If the card is a creature, that player either discards the card or has to pay three life. This is kind of an interesting card. It doesn't really have any immediate impact on the board when it comes into play, which I suppose could be a mark against it, but I find this to be a great tool in certain decks. It's great in a control-based deck that likes other people to discard cards, especially creatures like Lazav, Demir Mastermind, for example. Not only are you either draining people of life, but you're also possibly getting rid of their threats and then copying them for yourself if Lazav is in play, or you can just steal things straight out of your graveyard if you're playing black. That works too. The life loss can also add up really quickly in decks based on creatures or for or against decks based on draw effects. I'm thinking specifically of something like Nekusar, the Mind Razor, which already punishes people by wheeling and forcing them to take damage the more cards they draw. Breathstealer's Crypt kind of does the same thing, only works on creatures, sure, but can really reduce the life total in a deck that even has more than a few creatures. Oh yeah, like, Leovold is banned in Commander just for the ability to make it so people have problems drawing cards for the fact that they should be able to draw a card. You go ahead, you play Tefri's Puzzle Box, they lose their hand. You play Wheel of Fortune, they lose their hand. This is almost the same exact thing in this case for the fact that, yes, they have the option of getting it back, but if they do have that card going to their hand, they're still televising their punches, so they're getting no true gain out. Now, this does work on you as well, so it does put it on an even footing, but it is still a card that just can totally mess with people's plays. Yeah, it reminds me of Xur's Weirding in that respect. It's not quite as much of a rude card as Xur's Weirding is, but it does sort of serve the same purpose. Oh yeah, no, by no mere margin, but this is still something to take note of. Well, going on, I think we're going to stick with Black Stu, and we're at the top of the list here, so give us your report here. What is the number one card from Visions? Uh, the one gem that I feel like needs to be shined up more is Crypt Rats. This is a three-drop rat creature with a 1-1 body for two generic and a black. It has one effect for X. Crypt Rats deals X damage to each creature and player. Spend only black mana in this way. 
So the reason this card really shines to me is that this is a creature that is a board wipe at instant speed whenever you want it to be. Now, provided that you do have enough black mana to make it so it can kill every creature on the board. So the first thing that you would think of when this comes into play is like, all right, well, when I use it, it's gonna kill this creature, so it's a one shot. You would be correct, but remember, we're in black and black can reanimate like crazy. And I don't mean like, oh, it's a combo. No, it can easily bring back any creature it wants either to the field or to the hand. So this is pretty much another toxic deluge, but this one is on a creature. That's absolutely true, Stu. This is a pestilence, a super pestilence probably, on a creature's body. As you were saying, it's black. You can bring it back from the graveyard really easily. It could be either a board wipe or a win condition or both. This card, I agree with you, is very overlooked, and it is really, really powerful. Also, a key ingredient in Rat Tribal, I'm just saying. It also <laughs> pairs very well with something like Whip of Erebos, or anything that gives your creatures lifelink, because you're going to lose the same amount of life as everybody else, it's true, but you can gain it back if the thing has lifelink. That's something Pestilence cannot do. Now, it's not really much good outside of a mono-black deck, I would say, because they were very wise to put the rider on it that you can only use black mana to pay for its cost. If you could use any color mana, this might even be on the verge of being too good. As it is, I think it's very, very good, but obviously only in decks that can fully use its ability. But also, the black mana is deterring you, and you are in dual color, we'll say. Again, like we've talked about Uraborg or even your enchantment prior, Kyle, you can make all lands into black lands, aka swamps. So this isn't something that can totally make it so like, all right, if I have a 7-7 seven, seven dragon coming at me, I won't be able to get that high. No, you should be able to get that much mana. You have stuff like Hevel Coffers, you have Crypt Gas, and I mean, even if you want to go into a colorless thing, you have Doubling Cube. So there are ways to make it so that you can have the black mana there, even if you are struggling on colors. I'm really glad we're shining a light on this card, Stu, because I totally agree with you. It should see more play than it does. On the other hand, my card is a little bit more niche in my number one spot, but I think it could potentially be just as game-breaking. It's called Desertion, and it is a blue card, as is fitting, talking about me here. I love my blue cards, and it's a counterspell of sorts. I'm going to tell you a little more about it. It costs five to play, three generic and double blue, and it's an instant, as you might assume. Counter target spell. If that spell is an artifact or a creature spell, put the card into play under your control as though it were just played. Now you might be thinking right offhand that five mana is a bit much for just a counter spell, even if it is a catch-all, and I would usually agree with you. But keep in mind, this stops everything and potentially could even net you an additional card, because if you counter an artifact or a creature, you don't just counter it, you gain control of it. I don't think I have to tell everyone that artifacts and creatures are two of the most powerful card types out there, and definitely by taking any one of those, you could potentially swing a game in your favor instantly. Keep in mind, too, that this can take commanders, and it is the worst feeling in the world to play your commander and have it get desertioned away from you. This thing kind of reminds me of other similar counter spells like Commandeer and Spelljack and Aether Snatch, but it costs less mana. And I think that really puts it over the top and makes it potentially just a silver bullet secret weapon coming out of nowhere that nobody will expect. Yeah, I usually like this card a lot more than something like a mind control, for example, because being able to counter something and steal something, it's two for one right there. You're getting the bang for your buck. And can you also imagine the dream play if somebody goes ahead and plays a blight steal? You just go ahead and take that creature for five mana. And the really cool thing I do like about this card is let's say if you were to leave up mana and this is the only card in your hand, most people aren't going to really assume if you have five, seven mana up that you have a counterspell, like a counterspell like this, because they're typically going to be like, all right, they're not top decking the way they need it to be, or it's probably a land. It could potentially be a counterspell, but if I'm playing a blue player and they have so little cards in their hand, you could definitely do some mind tactics on them. For a threaten that is also a counterspell and even plus more in that, that is just awesome value. Yeah, no surprise this is a blue card at your number one spot, Kyle. This is a very strong blue card for a number one spot, and I believe it used to be a money card until it got reprinted at some point later, and uh, I think it was Conspiracy, but it is still a strong card for a strong reason. So that is our pool time for today, and if you like the cards that we had in our pool, 
well, be sure to tell us which ones you liked, and also, where do you see a home for them in Magic? You can either let us know in the comments down below, or reach out to us on Reddit at MTGTheCardPool. Or you can throw it up to us on Twitter at MTGTheCardPool, or put it on our Facebook page to let everyone else know as well. Lastly, be sure to check out our previous reviews, including the money cards and hidden gems of Scourge, and be sure to tune in next time when we address the money cards of Visions. I'm Kyle. And I'm Stu, and we'll see you next time at the Card Pool.